Amen. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you that even though uh, it's cold outside and the snow is hitting for the first time really and, and sticking and reminding us of uh, probably a lot of what's going to be coming in the next uh, couple of months. Um, Lord, regardless of what the weather is like, what our circumstances are like, what our jobs are like, what our families are like, or what even happened the moment before we walked into this place. Uh, We ask that you would help us to be present to what you have to teach us. Push all of the distractions, all of the competing um, things that vie for our attention. And uh, be front and center. We ask that we would... um, walk away with a clear sense of what you're calling us to in light of your word this morning. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have been, uh, we're not in a series right now. We're sort of doing a couple of topical ones before uh, the new year. Um, But uh, what we've been stressing as a church, a theme in our church has been discipleship. We've gone a few times to the Matthew 28 passages, a passage where Jesus tells his disciples, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Uh, so go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to follow everything that I've commanded you. And so as a church, our function, our goal, is to go and make disciples. Well, what does making a disciple involve? It involves baptism, step one, but it doesn't stop at baptism, right? It goes beyond that to continue learning, teaching them. A con- you know, it's, it's not just teaching the one time, but continue teaching them. So a lot goes into the care of a disciple, right? Some, a disciple is born and they're baptized. The physical baptism is a physical representation of the spiritual birth that happened in them. And once the church recognizes that, then the church has to come around them and care for them. Make sure that they have what they need to grow, to incubate that growth, right? We don't say, oh, you've been baptized? Great. All right, go take a hike, you know? Um, No, it's come into this community, and let's grow. uh, Let's grow together. Um, And as a disciple grows, what they need uh, is shepherding. What they need is leadership. What they need is guidance. Uh, They don't know their left hand from their right. Isn't this what broke uh, God's heart uh, when he's trying to explain to his prophet why he should go into this this wicked place? He tells tells him, you know, uh, these people don't know their left hand from their right. And you can hear God's heart breaking for the people. And so someone comes and they're not a Christian and they, they become a Christian and they're baptized and they don't know how to pray. They don't know how to do their quiet times. They don't know what a quiet time is. They don't speak Christianese like redemption, justification, you know, words like that, glorification. Are you being sanctified today? What? You know, right? It's foreign. It's jargon. What they need is guidance. What they need is, is care. Now, uh, most uh, pastors that are in training and they go to seminary, uh, some seminaries will offer a class in this, or this will be part of a class. Most churches expect this of their pastor, 
They should expect this of their pastor. Books have been written on this topic of pastoral care. Now, I want to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to bring that whiteboard over, and I want us to start thinking, and you're going to just throw it out, and I'm going to put, up, put it up on the board. Unless it's totally ridiculous, I'm not going to put it on the board. No, anything goes. We're going to put some ideas on the board. Oh, thanks, John. I, I didn't mean to subliminally ask you to do it. I was going to go get it. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Now go sit down. Um, <clears throat> so he needs pastoral guidance. Um, the topic of pastoral care. I want you guys to throw out at me what, what, may, what comes to mind when you think of pastoral care. A Christian needs pastoral guidance. Uh, care from the pastor or from the elders. What are the kinds of things that pastors and elders should do, can do, will do in order to ensure that a disciple is being cared for, being taken care of. So I have my magic marker. I don't think it's permanent. No, it's not. Uh, pastoral care. Okay, prayer. Elaborate a little bit. How does prayer help the person grow? Teaching them to pray. So how? And, and requests, right? Their, their personal needs, their personal requests. That's a good one. What else? What's that, Karen? Okay. Bible. Teaching it. Teaching them. And then applying the Bible. Applying the Bible means not just understand the information that you get when you read a passage, but understanding how that translates to my life. How, how am I going to go live what I understand that passage means? Uh, so that's great. That's definitely. Someone else has something else? Werner? Same thing? Okay. Excellent. John? And that's biblical. Uh, Paul, you know, saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. It would be arrogant if it just stopped with imitate me. But imitate me insofar as I'm imitating Christ, um, that, that's not a cop-out like when a parent is like, don't ever smoke, all right? You know, um, don't do as I do, do as I say. You know, that's, that's a cop-out, right? Throw the cigarette out and teach your kid that smoking is bad by modeling it. But what Paul is saying is, uh, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. So Pastor Lucas makes mistakes, all right? If you've been here for more than a couple of weeks, you know that, all right? Uh, but if I'm in pursuit of Christ, and even when I mess up, that I can own up to those mistakes, confess them, repent, move ahead, go forward, that's modeling the Christian life, and people need that in their pastors, people need that in their elders or church leaders. What else? Pray for them. We'll cover that here. Uh, they give us requests and we pray for them, but then also teaching them. But someone else had another one? Counsel. All right, I'll put... I know advice doesn't sound as spiritual, but just to, you know, round it out a little bit. Uh, here's something I'm going through. What do you think I should do? Here's something I'm experiencing. Um, I need some conversation about that. Renata? Answer the telephone or the door. That's old school. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, how, what, how do we categorize that? Um, 
be available. Okay. Someone else had another one? Okay, to shepherd them. I think a lot of this probably falls under that, but that's a a biblical analogy of of what's happening here. You have sheep, and then you have a shepherd, and he's, he's leading them. They're not sure where to eat or what to eat, and he's taking them to the places where they can get nutrition. Encouragement, big one. Okay. Discipleship. Okay, I would, I would, I would probably put a lot of this in there, um, but I wonder if you might mean uh, practicing spiritual disciplines, how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to how to do a lot of those. Um, so let's 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 just squeeze that in here. Um, I'll put spiritual disciplines. Okay. What are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are the things that a Christian does to grow. Okay, um, it, it's it's uh, training. Okay, it's it's the spiritual lifting weights, the spiritual cardio, the spiritual eating right. Okay, to grow as a Christian, to be healthier as a Christian, there's things that you do. You don't do these things to earn salvation. You do these things because you've been given salvation but they enhance your experience of your relationship with the Lord, like prayer, reading the word, that kind of thing. Uh, Claudia? Accountability is a good one. Okay, let's squeeze that one in here. And I'll just abbreviate it because I'm running out of room. Accountability is a big one, okay? And sometimes it's like kind of a scary one, but that's a role that you want. If, if, if uh, someone is out of line and the pastor just like, well, but they give a lot, so sorry, I'm not going to say anything. That's naughty, right? That's messed up, okay? You want there to be accountability and say, look, man, I don't care how much you give or who you are in the community. This is the Lord's church, and there's a certain uh, standard. Now, you signed up, you were baptized, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, but you're not giving this part of your life to Jesus Christ. You've got to give that, okay? So it's not the pastor's job to spy on people, look at their checking account all the time, Okay? Uh, but as things are discovered, the church should expect that the pastor, the elders, step up and are vocal and talk with people, love them, come around them. But to have that accountability, that's very important. I saw another hand. Sue? Self-care? Explain. Yeah, that's true. How how does a how does a pastor help with that? Oh, the pastor's self care. Oh, oh, now I like it. Yeah, <laughs> vacation time. Oh man, now I'm now I'm with you. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I saw Adele in the back. Yes. Uh, do we not have that yet? Okay. Yes. Visitation. Big one. That's a big one. There's one where um, a little bit related to this that if we were, say, in, um, let's say, a, a Catholic church or a, an Orthodox church, this would have been one of the top ones. What is it? Confession. Okay. Now, I know we're Protestant and we're like, oh, you know... We, we, we 
distance ourselves a little bit from a lot of the practices that, uh, that maybe we grew up with and we say, oh, that's, that's Catholic. Right, but if it's biblical, we should still do it. Okay? Now, we don't set it up where you come in on Tuesday from this time to that time and we move a little screen and I'm kind of blacked out a little bit and, and I'm supposed to not know who you are or something, you know, and then you confess whatever sins you remember uh, and then you s- have a hard time sleeping at night because you're not sure if you got it all. And then I tell you how many things to pray and how many this kind of that, whatever, and you absolve. We don't do that. That's not how it works. But it's wrong to go to the other extreme where there's no confession. I come, I give my money, I put it in the plate, I sang a few songs, leave me alone. Uh, you should feel that you can come to the elders and say, man, I'm, I'm wrestling with something. This is, this is really entangling me. And then the pastor should be able to go, man, I'm glad you came to me with that. Because fast forward a few months from now, your marriage is going to be destroyed. We've got to nip that in the bud now. That's what a pastor is there for, to help show the way. Now, we can probably keep going, and I'm running out of space on the board. But why do I have us do this exercise? The reason why I have us do this exercise is because um, for many churches, especially small churches, the model of discipleship is pastor do all that. Should the pastor do all of that? Yes. Can the pastor do all of that effectively with everybody that's baptized and growing? Of course not. Of course not. You know, if the group was 15 people, it would be difficult. 20 people would be difficult to do that with each and every person. So then you go back to the Bible and you go, what is the Bible model about discipleship? And the Bible has a lot to say about the pastor's role in each of these as a shepherd, as a caretaker, as a leader, as an elder, bishop, whatever the word is, okay, uh, an overseer of people's spiritual lives. He has a role to play in all of these. But the church is weakened when either explicitly or implicitly, in other words, either we say this is what we think or we didn't really realize this is what we think, but actually, come to think of it, That is what I think. That's implicit, right? Either explicitly or implicitly, the church is weakened if either way, the belief is that pastor's got it. Okay? And the reason why I say that is because we have a heart for the lost. We have a heart for people to come and get saved. Now, it's kind of a pet peeve for me when preachers start with this, but I'm going to just go with it. If I were God, all right, and uh, this is a ridiculous thing to try to imagine, but it helps sometimes to think of it that way and when we go, well, I'm not God, and that's why we should let him do it his way. Um, but if, if I were God and I were looking for a church and I had some people in the community and I'm like, you know, I'm going to call these people to myself. It is time. Now, now this person is going to come to me, and I'm calling them. I'm drawing them to myself, and I'm looking for a church to bring them to. I'm looking for a church in the community, and I'm going, where am I going to take? I'm bringing this person uh, to me. I'm drawing them to me. They're, they're having dreams, or they're thinking about it. They're talking with their spouse, or something happened in their life, and their, their, their heart is being softened and moving toward the gospel, and I want to bring them to me. I need a church to incubate their growth. I need a, a care unit to, to put them there, and I need a church that I know that if I send them there, he's going to grow as a Christian. 
We want to be one of those churches. We want to be a church that God can go, that church, that church will take care of people when I call them. So we pray that God would send people to us. We pray that God would help us go and get people, right? But I'm not sure if it'll happen if we're not also concerned with are we the kind of church that a person can grow in. It's kind of like when you uh, talk with someone who's single and their focus is on what is my spouse going to be like? What kind of spouse do I want? What is his hair going to be like? What's his habits going to be like? How is he, is he going to put the toothpaste back on? Should I care about that? You know, the toothpaste cap or whatever, you know, depending on the details, you have a list of pros and cons and things that are deal killers and all this kind of thing. And a lot of times, what do, how do we counsel singles? We'll counsel them by saying, focus on the type of person that that person would be married to. And as a church, we need to look on the inside and go, okay, can we be a church that is in the best position to disciple somebody if they come to the Lord this week? And I think we are. In fact, what I want to talk about today is one of the strengths of our church. But just like one of the professors that I had at Moody many years ago, he told me, uh, when you go into ministry, don't just try to focus on your weaknesses. A lot of times you, you realize where you're weak and you just want to focus on the weakness. Just focus on your strength because that's the gift that God has given you. And if you focus on your strength, that's where you're going to start firing in all cylinders, right? And so this is not a message where here's where we're weak. This is a message of here's where we're strong, but we can focus on it. We can hone it and we can make it better. What I want to talk to you today about is the power of growth groups. This is not a pitch to try to get you to come to a growth group, although I've done that and I will do that again. And that may be an underlying theme in today's message. Rather, it's the function that growth groups have in the discipleship of people. If you just go down the line of what we put up here, right? And I didn't plan these. We just wrote these out ourselves, right? And then we go down the line and you look at these and you go, wow, Look how powerfully these can shape a person if the, that person belongs to a group of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten believers. Prayer. Now, you can email the pastor prayer request. The pastor can try to visit as much as he can. But, you know, this is difficult for pastors. They say that the squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> Right? And then you have people that are too reticent to say that they're struggling with something. Oh, pastor's too busy. Then you have people that have no concept at all that the pastor's busy. And the pastor's trying to weigh between who am I visiting and who am I not. Right? While that's happening, wouldn't it be remarkable if that person had a weekly group of people to go to? And that group got weekly updates on what's happening with that disease. What's happening with that job? Is there another lead? Can we talk about that? Is there something else we can pray for? And then rather once a month or something like that with a pastor or an elder and then have to catch them up on everything that's been happening to also have something that's more frequent, something that where there's more attention being paid to that because it's, it's frequent. It's happening every week. And then in between weeks when two or three of, from that group decide to go grab lunch together, or you bump into them at you know, Walmart. Hey, how's that going? Okay, good to see you. I mean, it's living life together. And when you look at something like spiritual disciplines, that's great when the pastor tells you how he prays, 
And then in the back of your mind, you're going, well, we pay you to do that all day. Thank you very much. I have a real life. Well, what if you're in a group and in that group, there's a mechanic and there's a, a manager at a warehouse and there's a CEO of a company and they start explaining to you how they, as busy as they are, pray. Or they, no matter what their education level, figure out a way to be serious about Bible study. See, it's easy for me to come and like, yeah, you should read the Bible. You know, I have this many degrees in it. It's different when someone else comes along and maybe doesn't have degrees. Maybe doesn't have a, a real strong command of the English language. But they say, here's how I study the Bible. To be inspired by that, to be encouraged by that. Okay, we talk about accountability. I don't have a booth. We don't have confession time. It doesn't work that way here. Now we can, you can make an appointment and you can say, hey, pastor, can we talk? Can we meet or whatever? And that's great. But again, the frequency is going to be enhanced if you're plugged into a group. And then in that group, they're not all staring at you like, oh, is that what you wrestle with? Okay, can you leave the room for a few minutes while we talk about you? No, they're going to go, wow, well, here's what I struggle with. Here's what I need you guys to keep me accountable for. So accountability is a two-way street. No, there's no timeouts allowed in church. No, I'm just kidding. Go for it. Yes. That's right. That's right. What's deceiving, though, is all of us sitting here together in a church service feels like we're not doing it solo. But take a look around for a minute. Everyone is sitting shoulder to shoulder, lecture style. Right? When you leave here today, you're probably not going to know what the person next to you, unless it's your spouse or something, what the person has been struggling with this week. You probably greeted each other in the foyer and talked about the weather, how it's disappointing that it's snowing, that it's cold. Can we turn it up? Can we have, you know, Kim turn it down? You know, maybe you approach Kim about it. I'll, I'll forward you her number later. <laughs> you know, you talked about, you know, the bears and the Vikings and what it's going to be like and is it disappointing. You talked about those kind of things, but you probably didn't pull off to a corner by the coats back there and talk about how you messed up this week or what was encouraging this week and is, is giving you spiritual vitality this week. So it's not always negative. Sometimes it's positive, right? A lot of times it's positive. In fact, when we talk about the negatives and then the Lord gives us what we need to conquer those, those are the biggest positives we have. But we probably are not having those conversations in the foyer, in the seats. And so what we have is a Christianity that is okay with just attending services. That's not Christianity. It involves attending services, otherwise we wouldn't be having this, right? If I thought what we're doing right here wasn't biblical, we wouldn't be doing it. Of course they gathered together. Of course there was music. Of course there was a proclamation of God's word. But it wasn't only that. And if we slip into a Christianity where we pay a pastor to do these services, and then what we do is show up together, put money in a plate to make sure that he keeps doing these things, and sing a few songs, and then go home for the week, we're not being we're not living the Christian life. We're not. So how do we involve each other in these things? Like visitation. Pastor's one guy. 
But if a person belongs to a group of five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten, that person now has seven, eight, nine, or ten people that can visit them. If you're sick, can we make food for you? Can we pull some money together and get some Panera cards so you don't have to cook? See, a group can do that. But if they're disconnected from a group, they're not getting that kind of incubation. They're not getting that kind of pastoral care, even though it's not coming from someone who's a clergy, a pastor. It's still pastoral care in a peer sense. Because let's face it, in the Old Testament, they were priests and then not priests, but now there's a priesthood of all believers. So as we look through these role models, not just one guy, a group of people. You know them inside and out. You know them inside and out. You know what comes out of their mouth when they drop something heavy on their toe. Right? Because you've been there with them. You've seen them. You've been in the car with them. You know what, what, if they get rattled when someone cuts them off in traffic. You know what their life is like. Um, you know, counsel and advice, confession, uh, availability exponentially goes up if the person's connected to a group. Um, encouragement exponentially goes up if you're connected to a group. So here's what I want to do. I want to turn to one scripture and passage. We're going to have other ones that go up on the screen, but we can go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians in the New Testament. We kind of got to fly now a little bit, but that's okay. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you've got to go up a couple books. Galatians, go up one more book. If you hit Philippians, you went too far. I would say a page number, but we have so many different Bibles. Ephesians 4. 4, we're starting in verse 1. Just to give some context, okay? So Paul is writing about the body of Christ, which is the church. And he says, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That's discipleship. You've been called to this thing, and now you're walking in a way that's worthy of what you've been called. 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's emphasizing the unity of the church. And that this is the place for each individual member to grow together in love and in unity. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, here's where a lot of people make a mistake. They think what Paul is saying is a gift has been given to each individual one of us. What are those gifts? And then he talks about what those gifts are. That's not what he's saying. He's saying gifts have been given to each one of us, and I'm going to tell you what those gifts are, and those gifts are different people that have been given a certain gift. I'll explain what I mean in a second. He says, Grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Not gifts to all men, particular men. How do I know that? Because what he says next, and saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower regions of the earth? In other words, he's saying for Jesus to go up back to heaven, that means he had to come down to earth in the first, time, in the first place. And when he came down to earth in the first place, he met certain people, he trained certain guys. Okay, that's the logic that he's going with. 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. In other words, now he's in a place of authority, and this is how he wants his church to work. It's not an option. He's above all things. He's through all things, including his church. This is how it should work. He's given gifts to certain men. Verse 11. What are the gifts that he gave to the church? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Those are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Many people see this as a passage on spiritual gifts. This is not a passage on spiritual gifts. You can go to Romans 12 and go to 1 Corinthians 12. There's other passages on spiritual gifts. This is not a passage on spiritual gifts. This talk, just because it says the word gift doesn't mean he's talking about spiritual gifts. Just because it's the same word, right? What he's talking about is how he's gifted the church with types of people, with these offices, with these roles. And they're kind of different. The evangelist isn't the same as the prophet, and the prophet's not the same as an overseer necessarily. Some of them can overlap. Not every shepherd or pastor is an evangelist. Not every evangelist is a pastor. But there's particular people that have been gifted to the church. Why? Here's the key. The reason why the church has been given pastors and teachers is verse 12, to equip the saints, the church people, the congregation, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. What's the result of the way God set it up when he set it up this way? Verse 13, will attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. How does someone who's a spiritual baby grow into a spiritual adult? By being taught by these shepherds to do the work of the ministry. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now that is a little bit of a different model than, Pastor, what are you going to do to grow this church? Now this isn't what I'm getting from you guys. I'm just saying this is the mentality that many churches fall into. Let's hire a pastor that can really bring it. One of the first questions that a pastor will be asked in a candidacy interview is, what did you do at your last church to grow it? How many people were there when you started? How many people were there when you left? Everything is on the pastor. Did the pastor grow it? If it didn't grow, the pastor didn't grow it. If it grew, it's because the pastor grew it. See, it's a double-edged knife. And the temptation is, if it grew for the pastor, yeah, take the credit. But if it didn't grow, then the pastor's like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was the people, you know. It's not either or. I don't want you to leave here and go, pastor was trying to say that he doesn't want to do these things anymore, and it should just be in growth groups. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it is unbiblical if, this, if the pastor is the only way that people get this. That would be unbiblical. Because the passage we just read said the role of the pastor is to teach you guys, the saints, to do the work of the ministry so the body builds itself up in love. What's the work of the ministry? This stuff. So my primary role isn't even to do these individually with people. My primary role is to teach you to do this with each other. That's not to say I don't do it. That's to say it's not my primary role. Biblically, my primary role 
It's to help you guys come to a place where you're able to do this with one another. Think of all the passages in Scripture that use that phrase, one another. Do this with one another. Do that with one another. Right? That's between Christians. And if you come to church and sit lecture style, shoulder to shoulder with people, and look at a screen and look at a sermon, put something in a plate, and listen when the, the prayer closes at the end, and then go home, you didn't practice one another's. Except maybe meeting together, meeting with one another. That happened. Worshiping with one another happened. But a lot of the other one another's didn't happen. In order for those one another's to happen, we need to have another venue where people can get together and be intentional about these things happening. This is why we call them growth groups and not Bible studies. Because if we called it a Bible study and you got together and you just you know, highlighted pieces of Scripture and got into the Greek or the Hebrew or however deep you want to dig and then go, man, that was great. It really massaged me intellectually. Good night. Look at all of the other things that didn't happen. So this is why we move away from the Bible study model and there's Bible study in it, but we don't want to call it a Bible study group because there's so much more that happens in a growth group than just studying the Bible. We don't call it prayer groups because you don't only pray. We don't call them accountability groups because it's more than accountability. Do you see where I'm going with that? It's a discipleship hub. It's a spiritual care unit for someone to get all that they're supposed to be getting out of this Christian life. And it's impossible to do that with nothing more than a church service. Church service is great, but it can't provide this for you. Another passage I want to go to is in Galatians. And this is a familiar passage. Um, you don't have to turn there because we'll put it up here for you. But look at this passage here. This is, this is an example, okay? Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, okay? This is, they, they messed up. They, they sinned. Something happened. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, though, lest you be tempted, right? You need to be careful. But bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Notice it says you who are spiritual, so it doesn't mean just, you know, just anybody. It needs to be someone that's mature. Why? Because you don't want to be tempted when you're getting into this situation. You're talking and this person is confessing to you, you know, the things that they've been thinking about, the way they've been cheating on their spouse. And as they're talking about that, you're like, Ooh, that's kind of provoking me a little bit. No, you need to be like, man, that's abhorrent, that's bad, that's that's terrible. Or they start gossiping about someone else, and you're like, oh, that someone else is so bad. And then you start gossiping about someone else. It's easy to get trapped when you go to help somebody. It's like someone's falling off a cliff. You go to help them. Just be careful. You don't fall off the cliff, and both of you die. So this takes someone that's mature, but it doesn't take a shepherd, a pastor, A pastor can step into that role, but it doesn't have to be a pastor. Just someone who's spiritual, someone who's mature, can watch out for somebody else who's really really at the edge of something bad and can come around them. And what is the goal? To restore them, to bring them around in a spirit of gentleness. Another verse that's helpful is in James chapter 5. Listen to what this says. Now somebody's sick. Someone's struggling, they have a disease, they have, they have a, 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 you know, some kind of pulmonary lung disease or something, and they, they can't fight, they can't kick it. Anyone among you suffering, let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, this sounds like it's a counterpoint to what I'm saying. But no, no. Call the elders of the church. By no means am I saying, don't lean on your elders for this. No, lean on your elders for this. Don't just only lean on them. And this verse provides that as well. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Save meaning heal, not save meaning they'll go to heaven now because they're not sick anymore. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Pause there for a second. Some churches you'll go to will tell you, if you're sick, it's because you committed a sin. Go repent. And they use this verse. Well, if that were true, it wouldn't say if he committed a sin. It would say the sin that he committed needs to be confessed. No, but sometimes there's sin involved. And so he says, if sins have been committed, he will be forgiven. Therefore, address the more important thing than being physically sick. Address being spiritually sick, which is more important. That's reading between the lines. Therefore, confess your sins to those elders. No. To one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Right? Like we talked about. Why? So that you'll be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now what I see in that verse is both and. There's elders, there's overseers, there's pastors. Lean on them. But you don't only confess to them. Confess to one another. And you can pray for one another just as well. He could have easily said elders or shepherd or overseer. There's a lot of words that, that, um, that James could have used here. But he brings it down to the horizontal level of confessing sins to one another and praying for one another. That doesn't typically happen on Sunday mornings. It can, but it typically doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. It's too big. There's a service. There's a beginning. There's an end. It's not designed for us splitting up into little tiny groups and confessing sins to one another. But a growth group, that's exactly what it's designed for. It's a spiritual care unit to make sure we're getting what we need. If someone's sick, you can probe a little bit. Has there been something happening? It's not always connected to sin, but sometimes it could be connected to sin. Is there something happening deeper that should be repented of? Let's put that on the table. A growth group is a place to do that. Another uh, few verses down, in the same place, but verses down, you see Galatians 6 pop up again. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, someone who's, maybe they didn't sin, but they're just like, nah, I don't want to do church anymore. Nah, I'm not, con- I'm, not a, I'm not about Christianity anymore. And they're starting to wander away. Buying into lies or whatever it is. If someone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So he doesn't say, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, call the elders. But he just said that four verses ago. So he has no problem with telling you when it's time to call the elders. But what he's saying is, don't wait for the elders to go get them. Go get them. You see that that person is walking away. You see that that person is struggling with something. Go after them. Be careful that you don't trip up in what they're doing. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. But don't be so careful that you don't go. Go. You can inform the elders. Let the elders know what's going on. But go after them. Now, 
The application for this, I don't think, is to take it upon yourself to stand in the back of the sanctuary at one point every Sunday morning and do a head count and see who's not coming anymore or see whatever. That would just go, that would just put the error the other way. I can't do it myself because I'm one person. You can't do it yourself because you're one person. So what is a logical solution? Break everybody up into groups. And if you've got five to ten people meeting and one of those persons is not going anymore, it's so easy for that five to ten group to notice that that person is wandering than it is for a group of 50 to notice that the person is wandering. By the time the group of 50 notice that the person is wandering, they've probably been gone for a little while. But a group of five to ten can notice pretty quick. Hey, notice that you weren't in a group last night. Everything all right? That's pretty easy. So a growth group is an essential way to make sure that this is happening. Let's just look at a couple more real fast. Proverbs 27. These are real familiar verses. Iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Notice that it doesn't say uh, one kind of material is superior to the other kind of material, and that superior material can sharpen that lower material. No, two exact same pieces of metal can sharpen each other. They're the same. In a pastoral context, there's this sense of gradation. Rightly, wrongly, there's a mix of it. But if the person is like, okay, this is a pastor. This is someone who's got Bible training, you know. It, 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 it offsets the mutuality a little bit. But if a brother comes with a brother, this is why I spend a lot of time with pastors. You're a pastor, you know what it's like. Here's what I'm going through. What are you going through? I need a, I need a small group. Right? I can't just tell you guys, hey, everybody needs to be in a small group or you're not growing. Am I growing? That was one of the things that excited me about joining Five Stone Churches. I've got Gordon, Ty. I have other friends from my DMIN program. We get together. We have lunch. It's not weekly at the same time every week. I'd like to eventually get there. But I'm constantly having lunches or breakfast or getting you know, coffee or whatever with, with local pastors in the community. And we talk church. We talk life. We talk marriage. We talk kids. Because I need that other piece of iron to sharpen me as I sharpen them. That's what growth group is about. Let's look at one more. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Just another example. Just another example of how it helps to have other people in your life. How many of us are just just highly individualistic, right? We just make decisions because that's what we want to do. But we don't go, hey guys, I was thinking of uh, selling my house and renting. You know, here's my top five reasons why. And then that group can go, man, that's really smart. That makes sense. Or they can go, man, that's really financially unsound. That doesn't make sense. Or maybe you get a mixed opinion, but at least you get some advice so that your plans can succeed rather than fail. That just makes sense. And if the most important thing in your life is your spiritual growth, it should be, then don't just gather uh, financial advisors around yourself. Don't just ask people advice when it comes to school districts for your kids. Ask a bunch of people, you're going to buy a car, what do you think is the best car? When a car is way down the list in terms of what's important. But when it comes to your spiritual life, keep it to yourself. Not smart. Have a few people. Some of them have been Christian for a long time. Some of them just gave their lives to Christ. Maybe there's a couple of people in that group that are searching and, and looking, but they're not, they've not given their lives to Christ yet. And you're somewhere in the middle, And you take those people and you say, I'm inviting them into my life to speak to it. So that when I'm going through something or I need advice, I can lay that in front of them and get something, get some advice from that. That's the function of a growth group. 
And so as a church, what we want to do is organize our church around groups. We have over 70% of our Sunday attenders in groups. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I thank you guys for that. That is a good number. We want that to go up. We want that to go up. I'm going to leave you with, I know we're pushing up on the time that we normally do, but there's a three and a half minute video from Francis Chan, a little clip from a sermon. And he puts it in such a way that I don't want to try to repeat it. Let's just let him say it and then I'll come up and I'll close. Let's watch this. Let's watch this video. I think you skip back. It looped back. So uh, what he's saying in that video is the amazing thing about church is if you take the building away and you take the leaders away, that's when you find out if church is actually church. If the people are used to getting together, gathering together, having time of confession, sharing prayer requests, sharing life, teaching each other scripture, sharpening each other like iron sharpens iron, then you can have a no building. Maybe the pastor gets arrested and carted away. But church still happens because it's not about a building and it's not pastor-centered. I'm a servant. I'm a servant to you guys, but you guys are it. You guys are the body. Um, Growth group, it's not just something I'm trying to pitch. It's not I'm trying to get a percentage so I can go call my other pastors and brag about how we're over 70%. It's because I really believe that's how we grow in spiritual care units like that. Amen? All right. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and we're going to close in a song together.